good to be here. Um, we're continuing the series of David. So, James covered David's sin with Bathsheba. Now I have the second part of that today, and that's how David murders Uriah. So if you would, let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. For context's sake, we'll read the first uh, six verses included, even though it'll be on verses 6 through 27. Um, So let's just read the story again and see, uh, just equate our minds with what's happening here. So in verse 1 it says, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him. And he lay with her, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him, David asked Joab how he was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house and with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwells in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lords are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in the presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. So... In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew where there were valiant men. And the men of the city came and fought with Joab and some of the servants of David among the people. Fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Skip down to verse 26. It says, When the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba, heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Let's pray. 
God, this is um, a heavy passage this morning with tons of truths and warnings and and red flags. So God, would you teach us this morning? God, show us the weight of David's sin. Show us the weight of our sin. And God, show us your grace and your mercy that comes through repentance. Lord, we need you this morning. We really want to hear from you. So if you would, please, by the power of your Spirit, speak to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, so James talked about two weeks ago, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. He, it's a time where kings are supposed to go out to battle. David is a king and he's a warrior, Goliath's slayer. He's supposed to go out to battle and fight, but he doesn't. It says that he remained at Jerusalem. And on his couch one night, he gets up, walks out on the rooftop, sees a woman naked bathing across the way, a beautiful woman, and he doesn't look away. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do. He's enticed, he's lured, he's dragged into this thing by his own flesh. And in his laziness to fight, in just a matter of minutes, like destruction, this guy gets plunged into sin so deep. So deep. I think it's even crazier too. If you look at verse 3, it says, is the, the, they, they ask him, right? David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David, is this not your friend's wife, Uriah? Your best friend's wife, who you fought with and bled with, is this not his wife? He didn't care. He pushed it away in the midst of laziness and unable to control his flesh. As the Proverbs have put it, like an ox, an ox to the slaughter, he did not know that it would cost him his life. Bathsheba becomes pregnant, and now this, this dude is way in over his head. Like, this brother is, he's in some deep business here. So, David, we know David, like, we know him. Like, he comes up anointed, right? Teenage kid, anointed, king of Israel, like, going to be all this stuff. Slays Goliath, trusts in the Lord, loves his God. Everyone loves this guy. Like, everybody in the kingdom adores him. They think he's the man. This is David. In fact, so much so that when Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels, all the Pharisees are looking at Jesus thinking, no, this can't be him. We want a king, David. David's the man. Everyone loves this guy. And so, like, I picture, I picture the scene where David, right, he's on his knees before the Lord, I can't remember what chapter, but he's on his knees before the Lord and he's praying to God, God, can I build an, a, a, a temple for you? I want to build this beautiful temple for you in your name to glorify you and worship you for all the people. Like David, pure in heart, loves the Lord. And to think 
to, to think of him standing on the rooftop looking at this woman. Is this the same man? Like, surely this cannot be the same guy. That's why, that's one of the reasons why I love David, is that, like, we can clearly see this guy deeply loves the Lord. Like, really, really loves God. A man after God's own heart. And at the same time, he is an absolute train wreck. Like, he deeply loves his God. He is so jacked up in his sin, in his flesh. We're going to look at some of this this morning. He's so busted up. And so, we're going to go through today, verses 6 through, I don't know, 15-ish. And... It just gets worse for this guy. I can't, I don't have anything like, oh yeah, it's going to get better. No, it's just, the guy just keeps plunging into his iniquity. So, verses 3 through 5, right? We just kind of read those. Uriah the Hittite, verse 5, it says, And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. And then between, between verses 3, 4, 5, and six. There's a lot of time. There's a lot of space. Um, there's a lot of days in between here. It's not just like the next morning. Oh, I'm pregnant. It doesn't work like that. Uh, there's a lot of time going on here, and and just I just think of of David, right? He's he's passing in and out of the kingdom every day, every night, seeing guards and counselors and soldiers and familiar faces and people he loves and knows very well. And it's just kind of that, hey, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you? No, no, David, you're, you're not doing all right. Like every day, he's just kind of going through the motions, trying to put this thing behind him. Like, I just got to cover this up. I just got to hide this thing. Like, I think of, and I'll, I'll prove this later in another text, but I really think that the next morning, like after David sleeps with Bathsheba, that, I mean, if this guy loves the Lord, he's waking up the next morning, and there's got to be, like, I just, just from knowing my own human heart and flesh, that there's regret and remorse and guilt and shame. And what does David do with it? Nothing. In fact, he pushes it away, he hides it, he buries it deep down. He does nothing with it. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. So David sent, right? He hears Bathsheba's pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, the commander of the army out in the battlefield, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. David's... He sins, right? He sins with Bathsheba. And now, in his sin, he has a choice. Like, all of us have this choice. All of us. When we come to the point of sin, there's a choice to confess or to run and hide. All of us have been there. 
You may be there right now. You have a chance to confess or hide. David chose the latter. He hides. He pushes this thing away. He buries it down. I mean, think about this. This is like wicked. He comes up with this wicked, crafty plan. Hey, get Uriah back here. I'll, I'll get him in here, and I'll have him go sleep with his wife, and they'll think that it's their kid, and I'll just get away with this whole thing. He's hiding. He doesn't want the blame. He doesn't want man to think of him differently than they already do. He's hiding in, from his sin, from the consequences of his sin, but, but, but David, who, like, who are you hiding from? God, God sees everything. God knows what you've done. He sees it. Like there's no secrets. There's no hiding. There's no camouflage you can put on to get to like not God not be able to see you. He sees everything. Brothers and sisters, there's no hiding in your sin. Like you think you can hide in your sin, you're going down a dark path of destruction. You want to hide and cover sin up? Look, there's no way out. There's no way out. It's a dead end. You're running down a dead end. There's no way out. God already sees and He already knows. There's no point in hiding. There's no point in running deeper into the darkness. In God's kingdom, there's no secrets. The more you run and hide, the worse it gets. Listen, the only way out is through confession and repentance. That's it. There's an off-ramp, but there's only one. It's through confession and repentance. Numbers 32, verse 23 says, Simply put, your sins will find you out. But listen, that's not like... That's not like your mom just telling you this as like a little kid trying to teach you a lesson. Hey, your sins will find you out. No, that's God. Your sins will find you out. Why? Because I know everything. Nothing's hidden from His sight. You cannot cover it up. David, who are you hiding from? In fact, it, it just keeps getting worse for this guy. Like, he hides her. And it, it, there's more that happens after this we're going to look at. But I'll just say this before we continue any further. Is that secrets, secrets are the darkness in which death and destruction grow. You got that? Secrets, hiding your sin, is the darkness in which death and destruction will grow. So let's continue here in verse 9. David sends Uriah to go to his house to try to have him sleep with his wife to cover his sin. Verse 9 says, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. Plan failed. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come on from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Look at what Uriah says. Christ said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the field. Shall I then go down to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? 
as you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Like, if you're David and you hear that from this guy, like, there's conviction. There's, you gotta be like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, that's a, a, a knife to the heart. Like, we want to talk about Uriah, what a good friend he is. I mean, the Lord's just speaking through Uriah here. Like, the point of this is that David's getting pierced in the heart by this conviction. And what does he do with it? Again, nothing. He just keeps burying it. He keeps pushing it away. He hardens his heart. He should have been convicted at this point. Like, isn't this the moment where he confesses his sin and says, Ah, I, I did this. I slept with Bathsheba. I tried to get you back to, to, to cover my sin. Like, this is the moment it should happen. Look at Psalm 32. This is after this whole dilemma happens. Johnny read these verses earlier in Romans, but they're here again. Uh, We're going to get to those later in 32. But look at chapter 32, Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. This this is David after he commits uh, adultery with Bathsheba and he's forgiven everything already. But look what he says. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Night and day, your hand, God, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. You hear that? My bones wasted away when I kept silent, when I tried to hide my sin, when I hardened my heart. And the Lord's hand was heavy upon him. Listen, David thought that the con- uh, he must have thought that the consequences for man would be worse than the consequences that come from God. Like he cared more about what people thought of him than he did what God thought of him. That's clearly seen here. He wouldn't keep doing this if it wasn't. He thought that the consequences from man would be worse than the consequences from God. Of what Paul puts it, he says in Galatians that. He's like, if I, were, if I were trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Here David's more concerned about what man thinks of him than what God actually does, despite his conviction. But this is what sin does, right? Sin is so stinking deceptive. It, it can sear your conscience. Think about that. It can sear your conscience. Like your conscience that says, like, ah, oh, this is right, this is wrong. It sears that. That's Romans chapter 1. And it always takes you further than you will think it will. It takes you further than you think you will go. That's what the searing does. Like no one, no one just kind of stumbles into adultery. No one stumbles into murder. It's like this premeditated searing of the conscience that you finally do something that you don't think you could ever do. It's premeditated. And, and this is what happens. Is, is we see that David had conviction in his, his life. We, we have the same thing. Like, when, there's a, when you're running from your sin, it, it can sear your conscience, right? And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He, he will throw a red 
flag. Like he'll check you. He'll show you this is wrong. But what we do is we can keep pushing that check away and we push it away and push it away and push it away until the conscience gets so seared doing things we never ever thought we would do. And all the while justifying our doing it. This is what we see here in this passage with, with David. Let, let's keep going. Um, verse 12. David's plan doesn't work, right? Uriah won't sleep with his wife. So what does he do? And David said to Uriah, Remain here today also and tomorrow, and I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his lords, but he did not go down to his house. Again, he's got this wicked plan. He's still trying to pull it off. And it doesn't work. So what does he do? Confess? Repent? No. This man's conscience is seared. Look at this. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. He's going to kill his best friend. That's murder. This thing just gets worse and worse and worse. The Holy Spirit's checking him. He's not listening to it. He's just pushes away, he ends up killing his friend. Killing his friend to get away with his sin. Like the man who slayed Goliath because he trusted in the power of God is now slaying his best friend because he trusted in the promises of his flesh. That's insane. Do not underestimate what sin can do in your life. Pleading with you. Like, don't let it take control and sear your conscience. Like this flesh inside of us, it's, it's, it's tenacious. Like it's a beast. It will destroy your life. The way, um, one of the ways I try to think of it even too is, um, I don't know if you've ever seen like those TV shows where um, the guy, I don't know what his name is, I just think of him as like the lion whisperer, right? This guy, like, what he does is he'll, he'll go in a cage with like a group of lions or hyenas, I know sometimes he does too, and he gets in this cage and he starts kind of like wrestling with these things. Like he plays with them, he's kind of like bumping around with them, they're licking them, they're kind of uh, like playfully gnawing on them. And he's just like wrestling around with these lions. He's just like, and he's like fighting back with them a little bit, but they don't, they don't kill him, they just kind of, nudge him and, and beat him up a little bit, but he loves it. Like, he goes in there, he's playfully wrestling. But you see, like, when you see those pictures, you see this guy in there, and he's got these big cats, like, muscles, just ripped in the shoulders. Like, these things are all muscle, like, saber-tooth type teeth, big, massive jaws, big cats. And this guy's just, like, playing with them. Like, I'm just waiting for the day where one of them just kind of, like, just eats this guy. Like, he just kind of goes at him. Like, he thinks, oh, this is my friend. This is dinner. Like, and we've seen this too before where, where a lion is tamed maybe at a zoo or, or in, a, in a circus 
And then the lion just kind of like acts out on a news reporter or somebody and just kind of gnaws on them and takes their arm off. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, can you believe that? Like, oh. And, and the trainers are like, that's so unreal. I never thought the lion would actually do that. They're so nice and good. It's like, no. It's a lion. Of course, he's, not, he's acting on his instinct. It's natural. That thing is an apex predator. You can't tame that. Brothers, sisters, your flesh is a lion. It's an apex predator. You can't tame it. You can't. Like, don't be stupid and feed this thing like it's a domesticated cat. Like, this isn't, it's not a petting zoo. You feed it out of your hand. No, it will kill you. It's an apex predator in all of us. It's not something to be tamed. It's something to be killed. Or it will kill you. you. You've probably heard the phrase before. You know what pet sins become? Killer monsters. Pet sins become killer monsters. That's what they are. So, David goes through with this plan. Kills his best friend, Uriah. In verse 27, sums it up simply, but so true. And, and I guess there's no other way to really put it. Bathsheba comes down to him. She becomes his wife. The last line in verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Absolutely. See, I think, I think when we come to a text like this, and we see kind of these bigger sins, one of our first responses as people, as a listener, is that our first response is to think, no way, not me. No way, not me. Like, you come to this text and you think, adultery with your best friend, and then you go kill his wife by trying to hide your sin? Like, no way, not me. No way, not me. I, I just want to plead with you for a second. Don't, don't think that. Just don't think that. There's been, there's been people in these seats who have done this stuff, who have committed, who have destroyed families and who have destroyed lives. And I'm telling you, they never, ever thought they would do that. Never. So don't think, don't sit here and think, no way, not me. Listen, like, we are all prone to this type of wickedness. All of us. There's just one verse I could, I could cram into all of our heads right now and just lodge deep in there. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It says, Anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Anyone who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Listen, brothers, sisters, we're in Christ, but we can't stand. Like, our legs are broken. Like, we only have to look back to Mephibosheth to be able to identify with him and say, yes, I know what it's like to be Mephibosheth. My legs are broken. I can't stand. 
I can't do anything without Christ. My legs are broken. Like no one in here pulled themselves out of the muck and the mire. No, God pulled you out of the muck and the mire and He cleaned you off. You can't stand. Like so when so when your coworkers, when the world comes up to you and they have stuff like, oh stupid you go to church like that Christianity thing, that's just a crutch. That's all it is. That's just a crutch. Uh, yes, it is. Exactly. It's a crutch. Christianity is a crutch. Why? Because I can't stand. Because my legs are broken. And that person comes up to you. Listen, brother, the only difference between me and you is that your legs are broken and you don't know it. Like, my legs are broken and I need that crutch. And I love that crutch. In fact, I wouldn't even say it's just a crutch. It's almost like a stretcher. Like, Jesus just carries us. Incredible. Don't push away from this. Accept it. My legs are broken. Yes, Christianity is a crutch. So don't try to stand by yourself. Lean on Jesus. Lean on Christ. So, I mean, the the story ends there. It's just kind of like no hope, right? Like, what's the conclusion now? If you go to chapter 12, we're going to look at a conclusion here. We'll read verses 1 through 13. It says, now this is, you have this in mind before I read this, is that this is one year later. So like David, he probably thinks he got away with his sin right now. He thinks that he's covered it up and no one found out. Let's look at chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew it up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I have delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. 
Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your house, and I will take your wives before your eyes, give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And Nathan went to his house. Now, it still ends sad, but I just want to, I really want to hone in the point of this part of the passage. Like, there's like one main point. Did you catch it in verse 13? David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And the Lord has also put away your sin. It's crazy. Like that's crazy. So yeah, there's, there's stuff about, about maybe David's anger and and, and the fourfold, and, and you are the man. But like the point of this passage is you cannot miss it. The Lord has put away your sin. When? Through confession and repentance. And that's it. That's it. Confession and repentance. David repents and confesses of his sin against God, and immediately the Lord puts away his sin. Like, just like that? Listen, that is insane. Look at what David says in verse 6 or 7. The man who has done this deserves to die. Yes, he does. David, you deserve to die. And what does he do? No, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. That's crazy. Like the consequences for sin is eternal death and hell forever. But God forgives and shows some mercy. Like I, just uh, you feel the weight of the Lord has put away your sin. I love what David Platt says when quoting on this verse. Listen, he says, "The question of the world is how can God be loving and let good people go to hell?" All right, so just track with me for a second. How can God be loving and let good people go to hell when the question of the Bible is opposite? The question of the Bible is, how can God be just and let rebels into heaven? You get that? How can God be just and let rebels into heaven? So God's forgiveness towards our sin is a threat to His own character. So when He just says, the Lord has put away your sin, how? Like, how does he, how do you just put away sin? God, how are you just and just putting away his sin like that? It's contradicting to his own character. I think Romans 3 says it best. I'll just turn there. Romans 3, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. David had faith in a future Messiah that he would put away his sin. That if he confessed with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, he would be saved. The Lord has put away your sin. Listen. Take the off-ramp of confession like David finally did here. I mean, finally, he he gets to it. But like, take the off-ramp of confession. Do not hide in your sin. The Lord has put away your sin if you confess and repent. But what, what is repentance? I think it's threefold. It's, and th- this order might be wrong, so correct me after. Turn, confess, believe. It's repentance. Those are things. It's turn, it's confess, and believe. So where do we see this? I think, oh man, the, the prodigal son is like one of the best stories for for seeing what repentance is actually like, right? This prodigal son, he goes to his father. He wants his inheritance. He says, Dad, I don't want you. I want your stuff. Give me my inheritance. I want my money. He leaves. He gets out of there. He goes and he, the Bible puts it, is that he squandered his inheritance recklessly. He spends it on all of his pleasures and desires until he has absolutely nothing left. He, there's a famine, he has no food, so what he does is he, he finds himself eating in the trawls with the pigs. And what does he do? He thinks back to his father's house where there was food and love and companionship, and he thinks, if only I could get back there. I shouldn't have done this. And like, the, the, the prodigal son, he has a choice. He could just keep kind of plunging into sin and be like, no, 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 I can't go back, I can't go back, I can't go back. But he doesn't. What does he do? He turns. He turns. He looks at the, at the slop in front of his face and goes, oh, i got to go back to my father. He turns from what he's doing. He runs back to his father. His father meets him on the road and he goes to confess his sin. So too, he, he goes to confess, but the father won't even listen. Like he just, he just bear hugs him. He picks him up and he says, he ignores the whole confession. He says, Get the roast. Slay the cow. There's a feast tonight. Put a ring on my son. He's home. And then what's the third thing the son does? He believes. And like that's all he can do. Like He believes that his father loves him and that he forgave him. And he believes by celebrating at the party that there's nothing better than being in your father's house. Like There's nothing better outside of this place. I've been... With pigs, I've been with the money and the fame. I was there. This is better. And he believes it. Turn, confess, believe. So where where does repentance need to happen? Like 
we want revival amongst people. It, absolutely, but, but it starts, like, repentance and revival starts in the heart, in every individual's heart, like, one person's heart, your heart. Repentance, confession, and revival happens in your heart, in the heart, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your relationship with the Lord. These things, revival will not happen until you repent, until you confess. Like some of us, some of us are like David here. And we're, we're not looking across rooftops at women, but we're on the websites with pornographic images looking and lusting, just like David. And, and you need to repent. And I'm pleading with you, take the off-ramp. For your sake, for, the, for, for God's sake, or maybe it's more deceptive and you're having these kind of devious relationships with old high school boyfriends or girlfriends on Facebook and you're kind of tempting these thoughts with over-romanticizing like kind of what it was like and you're, listen, cut it off. Take the off-ramp of repentance and confession. Don't go down those roads. Or maybe we're like David and we're, we're kind of in this place where we're like, oh man, I should be more spiritually mature by now. Like, I shouldn't be doing this sin anymore, but I am. And I can't confess that. Like, people, you know what people will think of me? Like, they think of me as some leader. They think of me as, as I run this or that. Listen, take the off-ramp of confession and repentance. Secrets are the darkness in which death and destruction grow. Why? Because God forgives us. God is willing to forgive. David commits adultery and murder, and just like that, forgiven. Fully, freely, and forever forgiven. God forgives. So if you think like, oh, I'm just too far into the sin and I'm kind of like waist deep and I can't get out now. Like I just got to, oh, whatever. I'll just keep going. Like, no, get out now. And there's, there's no sin that's too far. Like the cross of Christ forgives everything. It's outed you of everything. God's grace towards David is insane. But we get the same thing in Christ. There's freedom in confession. And, and I'll say this too, is that even if, even if you don't know, like, I don't even know what to say. Like, I don't even know how to confess or who to confess to or how to say it, how to get this thing out. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, think about, the, like, the prodigal son, right? This man, he goes to confess, and the, the father, like, just ignores the whole confession. He doesn't care what the son says. He knows his heart. Brothers and sisters, the father does not care how weird your confession sounds. He knows your heart, and he wants it. We'll end with this. Uh, just an illustration is, the Lord can put away your sin. He does it in Christ. Believers, I'm, I'm, like the Lord can put away your sin. If you're a believer, you still need to repent of sin. There's a constant examining of the heart and confession of the mouth towards God. 
constantly. But for some reason, we don't take it. This baffles me to no end. Like, we don't take God's grace. It's like we can't accept it. It's like, it's like if I were to come here and say, hey, um, I'm, I, I, got a, I got a billion dollars I'm going to give you. I, got, I have a billion dollars. I'm just going to give it to you. And for you to be like, eh, I don't know. I just can't. I'm not really financially set up to receive such money. I just can't take that. Like, that's crazy, generous, and absurd of you to, to want to give me a billion dollars, but I don't know. My, my 50K a year, I just, I can't even handle that. What am I going to do with a billion? Listen, bro, just take the billion and figure it out. Really? Take the billion. Take God's grace and figure it out. Take the grace and learn to walk in it. Take God's grace. So why do we why do we talk about sin? Why do we cover passages like this? You might be thinking one reason is because I wholeheartedly and honestly believe this that you will never, ever, ever passionately chase and pursue Jesus Christ the way you were supposed to until you see your own depravity. Like you see your own wickedness and your own depravity and that frees you up to passionately pursue Him and worship Him the way you were supposed to because you realize my legs are broken. I can't do anything. I need Him. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. And Lord, please do not stop checking us and convicting us of sin that needs to be repented of and confessed. Please do not let our consciences get seared. Lord, David said, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Happy and joyful is the one whose iniquity is covered. Lord, we want to be joyful and happy and satisfied in You. God, teach us how to take Your grace and learn to walk in it. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.